solidly in November. Welcome to Terror Talk. <sighs> <laughs> I do love the fall. I do too. Even though I love Halloween and September and October, I also love November and December. Oh, just from September 1st through January or through uh, January 1st? Yeah. It's arguably the most amazing time of year. Time of year. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And it's funny I was watching a TikTok video the other day where this guy was making the argument for there being two Christmas seasons. <laughs> now, if you don't celebrate Christmas, you know, take this with like two different celebratory seasons, let's put it that way. And one he he was arguing that one was from Halloween, like November 1st, basically, to Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving or whatever. And then the second celebratory season or Christmas season was the one between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or no, actually, he said between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, because he's like, you know, you wake up on Christmas and by 11 a.m. You're like, it's over. The I, whole thing's over. It's true. It's, it, <laughs> Halloween's the same thing. Like you build up for that day. It's really the season. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because his argument was that the that first season, the November season, yeah. is like where you're you're buying things, you know, Target and everything. Yeah. You're buying all the fault. You're decorating. You're having a good time. You're cooking. You're having Thanksgiving. And then once Thanksgiving over, it's like hyper drive oh yeah now we are in it and we are watching every movie and we were we are dangling lights everywhere you know like he yeah. said the second one is you know the ramp up and oh so that's, that's his hilarious argument. it's super true <laughs> though there are stages <laughs> there are that's what he's there's saying. even the stage between two weeks before halloween where the halloween mm -hmm. merchandise is getting a little bit less going and on now, sale and now the christmas stuff is coming out there's yes. this you know transitional period and they do it slowly to kind of like you're not noticing this entirely. Here's Halloween still over here, but mm -hmm. boom, we're putting up Christmas in the yes. back. Yes, Disneyland has all the Christmas stuff oh. coming out. The grocery store, the candy's going on sale, you know, during I October. But, you know, now that it's November, it's like, well... <laughs> I was at uh, now what? <laughs> Disneyland two weeks, or like a week and a half before Halloween, and I was looking for one last little thing, and I'm like, hold up, the whole store now went to one rack. yeah. The Halloween exactly. stuff, and and now they're starting. You know, yes. they we're starting to bring in the. Yeah, it's hap it happens know. earlier and earlier, and I don't have too much of a problem with it yeah. because I started celebrating Halloween in August, yeah. and so I'm actually on the merchandise yeah. schedule. Yeah, where mid August, midsummer scream, that whole thing through about now. Yeah, is when I'm doing all the horror Halloween stuff. Now, obviously, we we cruise into Halloween still. But all the events and things that I've gone to are pretty much almost over by now. But Halloween weekend, Kathy and I got together. So that was a lot of fun. And um, I, hand, I handed out my friend's house on Halloween. Nice. Uh, they get like over 400 trick-or-treaters. Wow. That doesn't happen anymore. No. That's amazing. But in this uh, little area, it does. And she and her wife go out of her way to like, build this whole thing and the, and the kids know and parents you know it's one of those areas where it's a tradition parents know and that's uh i just i love handing out candy and i haven't really been able to do it to that degree in a long time i so, haven't done it ever probably i, I have mean, a skeleton onesie 
Oh, okay. Is that what you wore? Yeah, and my mm-hmm. one of my pups has, you know, Belle has her skeleton costume. I do know so, that. You know, Belle has a lot of costumes. She does. And Liam <laughs> has a lot of football jerseys. Oh. <laughs> yeah. How he, very gender normative of yeah, you. He was, well, he also has an Edward Scissorhands costume and it a haunted does. house sweater. Nice. So, I'm and she has jerseys. She has jerseys too. Okay. All right. So. Anyway, we're, we digress. No, no. It's a. Uh, it's the fall. But yeah, they do. They have a lot of uh, sweat. You know, little guys, they need. They do sometimes need a little something. But Well, yeah. And so I was just going to say that, you know, Kathy and I got together for Halloween. So that was a lot of fun. And then I also went to like a festival thing in the city. And that was a lot of fun. So I cruised through Halloween just fine. But now we are solidly in what this guy, like what I described, would say is the first Christmas season. <laughs> I do love the Thanksgiving, the air, like I love the atmosphere of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I love the the yeah. way the food smells, the, yeah. um, and I just mean day to day, like people are cooking soups and, you know, it's warmer food and the squashes and the spaghetti squashes and the acorn squashes and everything is cinnamon and clove. And then you get into December and you have the peppermints yeah. and the, it is different, there right? There really are like these, I yeah. Think so too. And then January 1st hits and you're like, well, fuck it. There's no good sports on. <laughs> I got to go back to teaching. Yeah. And uh, terrible weather and no holidays. Yeah, trauma. <laughs> it's, it's like Every the January year. depressive. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. That's why for me, I go to, I go and um, work at Sundance every yeah, year for two weeks. Good. And so I have that to look forward yeah. to in January. But that, then, then by February, it kind of was like, okay, now we're on to spring, you know, mm-hmm. like January, February. It's like, I just want to crawl in a hole and be like, tell me when it's over and spring training has started. Yeah. Tell me when April comes. Yeah. Anyway. So that's what's up. So I'm not a basketball fan. And that's, that's when oh, that's the old see? January and February. Although I do have hockey. I was going to say, isn't hockey. Yeah. And- hockey's going on, but there's just that January, February lull. And I feel bad. I mean, you know, people have birthdays in there and they do, you know, and it's like, that's great. And I've loved ones whose birthdays are in there, but it's just like, I'm sorry you guys were born then. <laughs> Well, and then also, obviously, places that actually have weather, unlike Southern California, are it's just freaking cold and miserable. Uh, hold on. We had five months of fucking rain last year. Okay. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> just saying. It's miserable. Yeah, when no. you, you know, you're from Michigan. The gray and like, the slush and the, yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, snow and the... Blah, blah. That's why anyway, February is only 28 days. Speaking of the psychology of horror. Oh. Is that what we're here for? <laughs> I'm just saying those those months are pretty yeah. horrifying, but they're also great months to watch. You know, cold Laura. weather, snowy, and Shannon scary always things. finds mm. a New Year's like slasher. <laughs> we we read really good winter <laughs> horror books at that time. The last year, last year, the one that we read, the roller rink one, yeah. Oh my God. I was so in it. You loved it. it. You loved it. it I loved it too. January. I loved it. 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 it was so fun. And then the one we read bef- the year before that was, was a too. zombie one. And I really liked that one too. So I'm, I'm hitting, I'm hitting pretty well so far. We have a book club on the discord and the members each throw in a book and then we all vote every month, except for two weeks out of the year over the holidays. I pick one sort of shorter, usually an indie novel, uh, to to have everyone read and and so if you have an indie novel that fits the season and is in the cold weather and it fits like the holiday vibes 
shoot it to me because maybe I'll have them read it. This was like a New Year's slasher that took place in the 80s. If there, I mean, it was so good. I thought of you when I found it. it so <laughs> I'm like, well, Kathy will like this one. We'll see. Speaking of the 80s. <laughs> and I had read the author before. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of the 80s. We've talked, we? we've talked a lot about the psychology of horror on the we show have. in a different way. Yeah, we've talked about why people watch horror. We've talked about what it does to the brain and all that stuff. But we're going to do a little bit different today, which is what psychology do filmmakers use mm -hmm. to actually make us scared? Mm -hmm. What are the techniques, the tactics? I'm going to start off talking first about the importance of music and sound. One thing that's gotten a little bit lost, but it, it, it I think it's making a small return is the importance of soundtrack. And we know that, and I'm talking specifically about horror. We know drama, there's, there's soundtracks that win Academy Awards, songs that, you know, best song of the year. But for horror especially, we saw a lot of Oscar, at least Oscar nominations in the 70s and 80s for scores that were for horror films. We don't see that as much anymore. And what did we see? We saw John Carpenter, we saw Jaws. One of the most influential and strategic pieces of music ever made was uh, or ever used was the the tubular bells in the exorcist which i've talked about on the show before where friedkin went out of his mind finding the right sound and after it, having all of these different musicians come in he's like no that's not right and no that and firing people left and right and his whole crew was just like oh my god please pick something <laughs> and one day he's home and he puts this record on and he hears these tubular bells he's like oh my god that's it you know something so simple and i'm going to talk about that in a moment it was something so simple about those tubular bells that's all it took to make the atmosphere terrifying. We know that Jaws is the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the other, uh, one of the most successful is the theme from Psycho. Absolutely. So why are these sounds, why is this music so influential? Why does it scare us? Well, let's talk about sound for a minute. So I looked up, a, there's an article called What Makes a Great Horror Movie a Soundtrack by uh, Arwa Heidel. I think it's from an article from 2016. And so we talk about sound from a place that, you know, develops tension, fear, shock. It makes us stressed. But then it also is in conjunction with something very pleasant. So music in the horror film specifically establishes the setting of the horror right? It gives us a, tan it's a tangible feeling to the location of a scene. We kind of know when we watch a movie, when we th even think back to silent films where there only was music, how much that was what told the story. And this puts our emotions at play. So one thing is we know that everybody culturally, we have different experiences in life, but we can arguably state that fear responses essentially are the same. And some of those come from really, really primal places. And I'll talk about that in a moment. So, you know, we look at how music really, uh, it helps us, it, the location of a scene, our emotions at play. It could be to help develop a very ominous atmosphere. It can help us feel that level of apprehension. Music essentially manipulates our emotions. And we know this because if we listen to a love song, if we listen to a song that we grew up listening to, that nostalgia. You cry. We cry. <laughs> so what happens when we hear, what I, when I hear the theme for Halloween, John Carpenter, total nostalgia, dopamine's just flying all over my head <laughs> because there's something about that. Music in horror does something really, really, really brilliant. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The music in horror movies reminds us subconsciously of like our primal urges or primordial times. So Rowan Hooper, this man, Rowan Hooper, he says he's the managing editor of, of New Scientists. And he says... The nonlinear sounds like Psycho's violent stingers mimic the sounds of animals in distress, which trigger the fear of being chased by dangerous predators and things that feel harsh and unfamiliar manipulate its emotionality or excuse me, manipulate us emotionally. But here's where it gets really clever when you think of a soundtrack like uh, Stranger Things, one of the things that they do really well is they, they use the heartbeat very subtly. And what it will do is it, it takes this really kind of eerie or ominous tone, and then it also complements it with this very comfortable melody. And so it pulls you in and it pushes you away and it pulls you in and it pushes you away. So the combination allows people to experience fear as a positive moment. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, music is so profound on all levels. I mean, we all know that, but yeah, it's like with horror, it's, it's part of what I would, you know, what we call the soundtrack. Right. So uh, let me, I'll just add my, my, my piece of this as no. far as, <laughs> as far as like sound in general. So music is just one piece of the sound that you hear in any movie. And I think that the way that horror manipulates us with sound is is the one of the huge... Because, of course, what we're looking at is sound, visuals, writing, right? Like, the, the sound is part of the dialogue. Part is what people say and what they don't say. The sound is also all of the sound effects. The sound is a lack of sound, like an alien, when the lack of sound is very profoundly noticed and makes the atmosphere very, very scary. And we're kind of talking about how sound and visuals collectively create an atmosphere for us that is the genre of horror. And so we just see, we hear and see the kind of tropes of the horror lens, right? The shot choices that they use uh, and some directors like James Wan, you know, like I could probably watch any movie and know it was a James Wan movie. Mm-hmm. Just the certain shot choices and the way it's way it's collected, just like you could watch a Spielberg movie and know it was Spielberg without knowing it was Spielberg because of the way the kinds of stories, the way the shots are created. I think Clint Eastwood is another filmmaker that's like that. Oh, like yeah. I can pick out a Clint Eastwood movie just based on the freaking description at this point because he chooses specific types of things. So when I think in the horror genre, we have that too. But with sound, for those of you who don't know my other life, I worked for about 10 years in uh, the entertainment industry. And the bulk of that was spent as a as working in post-production, which means I spent my days and my nights in dark sound stages, basically 
making sure it sounded right. And so sound is something that I'm always kind of acutely aware of in movies. And that's why I wear headphones a lot when I watch movies sitting at my desk, because like you guys know, they can do it really wrong. They can. And sometimes, you know, I try to turn off because it was a long time ago now, but like I try to turn off that part of me that kind of internalized hearing sound and the way the way I think it works. And when I, I can always tell when a movie doesn't have the money to do good sound and that's a diff- separate problem and I don't hold that against them necessarily. But when these big budget movies do sound wrong, like we all know when we're sitting with our headphones on and some fucking jump scare comes and they're using sound to manipulate you. So when there's a jump scare, there'll be this crash of noise that'll happen all of a sudden. And Sometimes that is very useful because it happens with a visual that makes sense or it happens with a visual that is congruent with the sound Mm -hmm. and then it goes on to make sense. You know, it's not just the cat that, you know, banged a dish and so it made you jump. It goes on to be part of the story, whatever that jump scare is. And that's why sometimes I get really pissed off at jump scares is because they, they, I get pissed off at the, overt manipulation i would like to be subtly manipulated yeah 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 like yeah jump scares can be there can be a massive overcorrection oh my god there it's like okay how many times are and then i just get anesthetized to it well gore can be the same way exactly and then like 10 symbol crashes later that i'm supposed to jump every time you do it i just get anesthetized to it and it's not effective now a movie with a couple of really effective jump scares is amazing. Like I love it as a thing you can use. And so this is where like us being, uh, psychologically terrorized by the sound and the visuals in the, in the horror genre is obviously part of the fun. And I think music is of course a a huge part of that. And so is sound effects and so is dialogue. And so are the lack thereof. Like I find, I don't know, you know, when I was reading stuff for this episode, Kathy, and you might agree is that comedy, like comedy horrors or any comedy in general will have a lot of words like scream or any comedy in general. There's just a lot of words. There's a lot of talking, a lot of funny, blah, blah, blah. Atmospheric horror or things that are more based on sound effects, music, visuals, those kinds of horror movies are, there's not a ton of dialogue. And I think we were just talking in another episode from a couple weeks ago where it's like, and I'm talking about Alien in that first 45 minutes before the alien finally pops out of somebody's stomach, there's not a ton of dialogue and there's also not a ton of sound. They make it very quiet. He makes it very sterile, very quiet. There's these long, slow shots in these empty and the sound that's there. Of course, there is sound from a technical perspective. There is room tone and the room tone of space and the room tone of this ship. And I just, it's so fucking yeah. effective to have a lack of sound as well. Well, sure. I mean, quiet place did that two very successfully and actually there's a movie I know we're going to have an episode um, where we're going to talk about some of our watches but if you haven't seen it it's a new movie out uh, with Caitlin Deaver called No One Will Save You there is no dialogue in the entire film and it it's amazing the the use of cinematography and editing and sound all natural sounds 
and it, and it's a it's a sci-fi horror film without dialogue. Yeah, and that's why I get so excited about that. And A Quiet Place, I really liked the A Quiet Place movies. And one of the many reasons why I liked it is because I could imagine the post-production team and the sound editors on oh that my stage God. and all of the work they did to make it so visceral for everyone. Right. And so, yes, so that's our lecture on sound. Well, and then, and then <laughs> it's important. What, what, you know, Shannon's talking about is in the absence of dialogue and the utilization of these other types of sounds or like an alien sometimes just totally quiet then what helps it move along part of it is how it's edited um some of it's timing and pacing but editing we have to look at our editors and go man you guys actually are the ones that give people give the actors the oscar nomination as far as i'm concerned agreed you know editing is in is it when we think, because we're talking about horror, what is important in a horror film? How a scene transitions. The shot placement is what is going to help actually build the suspense, build the mystery. I, I just said pacing, but you're going to use editing tricks like jump cuts, uh, match cuts, fading in, fading out, making people feel like they're inside the film. These are things that uh, and this is where I get upset that more horror films aren't nominated for Oscars. I mean, not that Oscar really should be the Oscar or the Academy Award really shouldn't be the top tier of, of films, but it it's looked at as that. And, and that's where like you look back at the seventies and eighties and you would see films like the Omen and the Exorcist and Jaws actually get nominated because there was this deep appreciation. Now I feel like we've really deduced it down to acting. Well, Parasite just won a bunch of stuff yeah. for internet. Like, you know, we're still in the game, but I, we are. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's a celebration of the entertainment industry. That's how I look at it. I know a lot of people. It's hard to do horror. I know. It's I, hard. It, it's really hard. And it's also not something that everybody wants, you know, wants to involve themselves in or carriage. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a, it's not a everybody likes it kind of genre, you know? And that's a, another thing, too, that bothers me about that not that people can't have their opinions I just don't think people have the whole picture because there's such a misunderstanding around horror and I think that horror to me does fit in with drama and comedy and all of me these too. other things yep. and uh, we had mentioned this on another episode how you know if it's nominated for an Oscar then they're going to call it a thriller right <laughs> just yep. because the concept horror has this connotation that it's cheap it isn't, it's low budget. It, it's, it cheapens the actor's experience or the director's, but to make a really good horror film, it's easy to make people cry. It's hard to make people scared. And I also think that that's why the sort of art house subgenre of horror came about with the Jordan Peele's mm -hmm. and getting in the game of, you know, they call it elevated horror or what have you. And we can have conversations about that. I like trash horror. I like elevated horror. I like all the horrors. Same. And then I'll tell you what I think about each movie, not about the genres, the subgenres of horror. I, I, I will make it very individual, just like in my work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will make it very individual to that movie because I, I love things across the board and I judge on that basis. But I do feel like that those the filmmakers wanting to make horror more accessible to the general public, meaning having better stories, have, having better acting, having cultural 
discussions through horror. I I think all of that is actually the horror industry saying like take us seriously and look we have mad talent and all of these actors like Tony Collette and etc can do all sorts of things including these kinds of horror stories. Oh, yeah. So so I'm glad about that. I did want to mention this conversation is making me realize over and over again that post-production is, is really key because, and I always thought that when I worked in post-production for sure and editing being part of post-production, I can tell you that yes, I very much appreciate actors. I very much appreciate directors, directors, of course, helm movies. They create, they, they distribute the vision and then everyone needs to sort of, play along right their vision and then everything goes away but they really couldn't do it without post-production because the sound and the editing are two huge pieces of this and that's right sitting with editors and one of my really good friends just retired actually from a full life of editing of 35 years mm. and she her body is completely wrecked from it of course because you're sitting in a dark room at a computer oh, for 35 yeah. years but uh she Watching her work over the years when I worked in that industry and then also afterwards when, uh, you know, I was just adjacent to it with all my friends still doing it. It's like the amount of work that editors go through to deliver the vision of a producer or a director is massive. And with horror, it's like... It's so key. Like there's these shot choices, of course, the mm -hmm. long shots, the tight shots, the mid shots, all the things that the director's deciding is obviously paramount. But putting them together to create the atmosphere, it's like what you're talking about, like editing. You don't get that without editing. No. And really, it's up to the editor to hold the audience's attention by cutting it the way that they do well and that's why people like spielberg or or you know the big filmmakers uh, even you know quentin tarantino they work with the same oh, editor yes and sometimes because, sit in in those editing rooms oh they have and, to yeah. yeah absolutely i mean so the the art work in editing i think it it isn't talked about enough that really it's that final product that the editor ha has to have such an understanding of this genre and specifically when we're talking about horror because like I was just saying a moment ago, it's really easy, like how to make, you know, to, to make people cry, right? We have similar responses to what makes us sad, but horror really is hard to do, especially nowadays with all the desensitization to oh things my God, for that sure. you have to use. And we, you know, we just did an, we just did an episode on PG 13 horror. And we talked a little bit about if you remove the gore, if you remove all these really big things, what is left, the storytelling, the editing, the sound, all the things that we're talking about is really what makes horror effective, whether it's a PG 13 or a rated R film. Yeah. It creates that atmosphere that we all love. And I always talk about how I really like movies that are centered on the atmosphere yeah. a lot like i i get into the movies that are sound and editing centric i want there to be a good script and i want there to be character development i want all of the things just like with all the movies you want all the things like those would be perfect movies but even if it's not a perfect movie if it has mad atmosphere like i'm in <laughs> it's kind of like if you like slashers right and the atmosphere of a slasher is very specific and how and how the shot choices changed mm -hmm. with Michael. <laughs> yeah. And how 
Halloween shifted the the POV and Black Christmas, the POV of the killer mm-hmm. was like like that was revolutionary at that time. Yep. So those kinds of tropes and those kinds of tools that horror folks, you know, the whip pans and the big sounds on jump scares and the the hand from beneath the bed and all of that. We just watched Creature of the Black Lagoon, which we're going to talk about here soon in our mini cast for our patrons. And one of the things that I will most likely mention in that is the how, you know, the like (laughs) the fish hand will come through the window, you know. So it started back then, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. And that that anticipation is how they really get us, because you can't deliver on the jump scare unless I've been tense. Right. The jump scare doesn't work unless I'm letting out tension. Well, and well before dialogue, and I mean, Creature had dialogue, but well before that, when and we've talked about some of these other ones on other minicasts of mm-hmm. without, like Phantom of the Opera, the original yeah. Phantom of the Opera had no dialogue. It was music and it was uh, editing. And if you, if you take it for what it was at its time, it's actually really terrifying. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank we, you for that discussion, we Kathy. We have nothing to say. Nothing to say at all about any of the things. But thanks, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Let us know what you think. What did we What did we leave out as far as how how horror gets you? I would be curious to know if, if we left some things out. Because for me, the visuals, the sound, all of that just creates that atmosphere. And those techniques are what creates horror for me and what make what sells it for me. So I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.